Open your Bibles, your copy of God's Word to Romans chapter 12. Again, we'll make a little bit more headway and traction through this passage. We're in the middle of a series that we've titled Spiritual Gifts, The Design and Diversity of Ministry in Christ's Body. What's the design of how the body is put together by God to care for itself, the body of Christ, the church, and how are the diversified giftedness applied to every person given by God? How are those giftednesses a blessing to each of us? Well, we're finding ourselves going through very deliberately and very strategically and very slowly verses 3 through 8. Let me read those again just so that you have it fresh in your mind. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Paul says, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sober-minded judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function... So we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching or he who exhorts in his exhortation. He who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. It's the first weekend of December as we open this text together, and I know that Christmas is on your mind at some level, and if it hasn't been, it will be soon. Christmas trees and presents, decorations and desserts, friends and family, credit cards and debt. That last one kind of snuck in there. Christmas is always um, a special time, but for me, and I know for all of you, no matter how old you are, Christmas brings a flood, a resume of memories, does it not? And we tend to romanticize those memories in the past, and they become better and more seasoned as life goes along. In fact, I don't think anyone would argue that Christmas is the most sentimental time of the year. I was thinking this week about one of my most interesting memories of a Christmas we had one year where my mom, who always tried to be a bit creative with Christmas, decided that she would solve the shaking of presents under the tree. And so, there were a lot of presents under the tree with markings on them, and no tuframs. Now you say, what's a tufram? Well, that's what my dad used to call the little tag that says to and from, to, from. I don't know why that was, but it stuck, and it was a silly thing that he said, and I still use that term to this day. There were no to from, tuframs on any of the gifts, just little markings. No one knew whose gift was which. No tags, no indications. And there were good and bad parts of that endeavor. It was fun for a while to kind of wonder which was yours, but then it became exasperating 
especially when you're a little kid and some are bigger than the others. They're a pile of gifts that no one knew which gift belonged to them. Well, let's just say that that little fun experiment only lasted one year. After a massive family protest, uh, we didn't know which gift belonged to us, and that kind of stole some of the, the magical mystery of that tree for us. But uh, I think, if I can take that and apply it to us today, I, I'm not so sure, but that that's not a living illustration of what is true for so many this morning and today in the church regarding your spiritual gift. Oh, you know there's a pile of spiritual gifts. You know there's a list in 1 Corinthians 12. You've seen the gift uh, list in Romans chapter 12. You know what Paul says in Ephesians 4 and in 1 Timothy 4, but you're not exactly sure which gift belongs to you. What are your gifts? We've asked that over the last few weeks. Let me ask you just in your heart of hearts, answer this question in your own silence of your own heart. What are your spiritual gifts? Because Paul says, to each one is given gifts. What are yours? Do you know? Have you been affirmed in those? Do people enjoy them? Would they say, it's obvious that so-and-so's spiritual gift is, and they would fill in the blank. Well, if you've been around the church for very long, you know the term spiritual gift. But you might feel like you're looking at a bunch of wrapped presents with no to-from tags. Which is yours? Well, we've started unpacking this, and I hope today you're going to have a little bit more clarity in finding out what you have been gifted with, what God has given you as a spiritual endeavor, a spiritual enablement to be able to serve people around you. We're going to hopefully give you a lot more clarity. Paul is going to give us a lot more clarity this morning as we kind of move through this list quickly. We've broken this passage down into three ingredients for faithful ministry in the body of Christ. In the body of Christ is an illustration that Paul uses more than any other that describes the church, which is a body. Christ is the head, giving signals out to the body parts. Some are conscious, some are unconscious. Some of us uh, know or right now, if I tell you, you're aware that your heart is beating, but most of us haven't even given a thought to our heart beating or our pancreas working or our liver functioning or our capillaries uh, moving blood. You haven't even thought about that this morning, but it's happening. He's designed us as a body, internally and externally, to care for itself. So we broke these three ingredients down into three sections. Let me just review the first two very quickly. First, we looked at a proper evaluation of self in the body of Christ. A proper evaluation of self, which is really being humble. It's not having a, a high estimation of your own abilities, your giftedness in particular. He says, each man, no one, ought to think, verse 3, more highly of himself than he ought to think. And then he uses this interesting term, but to have sound judgment. It's literally sober judgment. Said another way, it's not to be intoxicated with our own pride. Not to be filled up with our giftedness with what we excel at in serving others. He says, to each one has been given this gift. To each one who's believed the gospel. So listen, if you understand the gospel and have believed it, if you understand who Jesus is, who he was, who he will be forever, that he came God in flesh to be the perfect man, to give us his perfection by gifting, by imputation, imputing to our account 
his perfect standing before God, his perfect actions before God, to give that to us while taking on our sin on the cross and dying the penalty of our sin in his own body and then rising from the grave. If you've believed that truth and committed yourself to Jesus as not only Savior but Lord, you have been given gifts. As we said, some of those are gifts that you were born with that God enables and turns up and amplifies and adjusts and sanctifies, and some of those are actual changes he makes when you become a Christian. Some leaders who have been leaders in their corporation, on a football field, and anywhere become leaders in the church because that's how God's wired them. And Some who have never led anything and yet they become a Christian and they suddenly have a way to inspire people and lead people. It can happen both ways. I've seen it. I'm sure you have as well. Each one has been given a gift, but it's to be exercised in humility with a right understanding that God is to be glorified and self is not to be amplified. Well, secondly, we looked at, number two, a functional understanding of ministry in the body of Christ. A functional understanding. Verse 4 says, As we have many members in one body, and all members do not have the same function. In other words, each of us has been gifted uniquely. Some with the same gifts, but no gift is alike. Everyone has been gifted perfectly according to God's infinite wisdom, not only for the church in general and the world, but get this, he's perfectly gifted you for ministry here at Mission Road Bible Church. That's why we take membership so seriously. We want to know who God has given us, who's committed to one another, who's following the leadership that God has blessed us with. Many members, not the same function. And remember the, the, the kind of the caricature that Paul gives in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, you know, the eye can't talk to the foot and the foot can't talk to the nose. The ear can't talk to the, the kneecap and say, I have no need of you. We have need of all of us. None of us would look at any part of our body and say, I don't need that. We want and need all the parts. And God has designed the body of Christ to function with all the parts. And if some of the body parts are not functioning, we call that a person who is sick or lame. We certainly don't want Christ's body here at Mission Road to be sick or lame, do we? We need to functionally understand that there's many gifts, but not the same function. And now we come to number three, a third ingredient for faithful ministry in Christ's body, a unique application of gifts in the body of Christ. A unique application of gifts. Your application of your giftedness here in the body of Christ. We started this last week by looking at verses 6 through 8, where Paul says, since we have gifts that differ, there are different kinds of gifts and different ministries of those gifts, different manifestation even of the same gifts, according to the grace given to us, stop right there, the gifts that you have are a manifestation of God's grace, giving us what we don't deserve. He's given us grace to have giftedness so that the body here at Mission Road can be healthy. Not sick or lame. Then the New American Standard supplies what is really implicit in the text. Each of us is to exercise them accordingly. In other words, according to the grace given to us, we're to be who God has called us to be, play the position He's called us to play. Then He begins a list. We looked at this one last week, just this first one. If prophecy according to the proportion of His faith. Now, We've broken the gifts down into sign gifts, 
speaking gifts, and serving gifts. That's how Peter classifies them. That's how uh, 1 Corinthians 12 classifies them. 2 Corinthians 12, 12 and Hebrews 2, 3 to 4 talk about sign gifts. And I don't want to elaborate this. We've speak, uh, spoken about this for several weeks now. Sign gifts were those supernatural gifts given to that first generation of apostles to show the validity of the truth of the message of Jesus. I believe there's compelling biblical evidence that these faded away during the lifetime of the apostles, and those sign gifts were, were supernatural. Well, one of those sign gifts, I believe, is the one spoken of here, prophesying. And if I was unclear last week, let me be as clear as I can be today. I think the gift of prophecy died away with the apostles, which was to say, thus says the Lord. They were giving revelation. But someone who preaches and teaches the word of God can be doing what's a cousin to that gift. We're not saying what is um, uh, uh, newly said, but re-explaining what has already been said. But that actually is covered in a moment in the gift of teaching. So if someone wants to say, well, prophecy is the current gift of preaching, I understand that. I'm okay with that theologically. I still think the gift of saying, do you know what God thinks and what God says in a category and in a place where he'd never said it before has faded away. Why? We don't need it. We have God's word. And to say that God is still speaking in a way that is competitive to, competing with what he's already said in the Bible undermines the sufficiency of the word of the living God. We covered that last week, so I don't want to belabor it, but just know that prophecy is like, I think is a sign gift, and we don't need it anymore because we have the Bible. But if someone wants to argue and say, well, a modern preacher who's saying, thus says the Lord in the Bible, and they're prophesying, I understand that, and I wouldn't argue too much with it. I still think that sign gift has been done away with because there's something even more special that comes in a moment. Now let's get into some new, new territory. The second gift here he talks about is the gift of service or the gift of serving. It's a very interesting word. The gift for service here is the word that we translate deacon. Now, is this talking about the office of deacon? It doesn't say that. 1 Timothy 3 talks about that gift, but that's not what's in mind and in focus here. If service in his serving. Remember, all these gifts say, if this, then do that. Because of this, then be faithful. If your gift is service, then you manifest the grace of God in your life by serving. Here it's the word diakonase. It's to be a natural deacon. Now, deacons, I don't want to go into all this right now, are different than elders, and the deacons are called to do the service ministries of the church, elders, the teaching and leading ministries of the church. This gift is straightforward, it's simple to understand, but it's always difficult and a challenge to apply because it's, it's full of this main attribute. In order to serve, you must understand self-sacrifice. It means to become a, an emotional and a spiritual and a caring slave to your brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, to serve them. And if I can break it down as simply as possible, I think it's simply using your life and using your resources to be a practical help to the members of Christ's body where you worship. 
using your life and your resources to be of practical help to the people around you. It's generic. It's going to get broken down here in a moment. But it's very broad sweeping because everyone is to serve. Everyone's to serve. But there are people especially gifted in service, uniquely gifted to do so. These are people, I think, who have a keen sense of awareness. They're sensitive to what others need, sensitive to how others feel, to what others even want. And I want to tell you, I love seeing the gift of service, operative and active here in our body. I've seen it when it comes to caring for the building and the grounds. I have a picture that's a, it's a really precious memory to me on my phone of a brother and sister. On a Saturday, I came in to do some work here, and a brother and sister who were one in college and one in high school who were here, it was, they had volunteered for their, their, uh, their time of, of, uh, of the monthly uh, cycle of grounds care to cut all the grass. I've seen it applied to people shoveling snow here on this grounds, and not only here on the grounds, there's a group of guys who two years ago, we didn't have much snow last year, but two years ago, I remember they, they just went around to anyone who was, uh, how do we, I don't want to say elderly, let's, let's think of another, mature, um, who might have more difficulty shoveling snow, and they called me and said, who, whose driveway can we go shovel? And I said, well, let me give you my address. No, I didn't say that. Raking leaves. Yards, making meals for people in need, making meals just because you care about someone. Now let's talk about a subtle distinction in spiritual giftedness that I, 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 I prayed even this morning that you would, you would grasp and understand and not be misinformed by and not be confused by. And that's this distinction. Our spiritual gifts, things you own... Or can you use spiritual gifts in the things you own? I remember being in a prayer group and, and a, 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 a gal told us, I was a very young Christian, she says, Help, pray that I'll use my spiritual gift and she said, my spiritual gift is my house. And I remember thinking, because I wasn't too astute at understanding these issues, thinking, well, that's interesting. She had a nice house. I mean, God gave her a nice gift. Well, I don't think your house is your spiritual gift. But you can certainly use your spiritual gifts in your house. It was clear that this lady understood that that address was God's gift to her. Now, in God's blessings, I want to to count all of God's blessings as gifts of his, but that's not a spiritual gift. Let's think about this for a moment. Are homes, are cars, are possessions listed in any of the gifts lists in the New Testament? No, they're not. But is it possible that this woman had gifts of service that she could use in her home? Of course. Let me say it this way. Is cooking a spiritual gift? No, but I have seen many women, and I'm going to say it, many men, use their spiritual gifts of service by cooking. You have to understand it's the service to others that's the gifting. The desire to make others' lives better because of your 
possessions and abilities. That's the gifting, not the actual expression. Or a mechanic, or a plumber, a surgeon, a technician, an IT consultant, a baker, an insurance agent, an engineer, a carpenter, a handyman, a homemaker, a homeowner, an athlete, a doctor, a dentist, a boat owner, a landowner. Whatever you have can be used in a spiritual gifting of service for the benefit of the people around you. But it's the heart that's the gifting, not the possession. Does that make sense? In other words, I don't sell my spiritual gift when I move. It's what I do with what God has given me. These things, these jobs, these personality traits can all be used, here it is, to serve others in the body. What does to serve others mean? It means to make their lives, their ministries, their enjoyment of Christ, their enjoyment of this world better because of you and what you have and who you are. The gifts of service are using who God has made you to be to make others better and enjoy life more. A gifts of service are using what you do to make others in a church better, more enjoyable. What you have, even the talents you possess. We are so gifted. Are we not on the, see on the stage week in and week out with musicians? Now, Aaron doesn't have the gift of piano, the gift of drumming, the gift of saxophone or clarinet, the gift of flute or violin or cello. Those, those aren't spiritual gifts, but listen to the subtle distinction. Using your talents for the glory of God to serve others is a way to use a gift of service. You understand the difference? For example, if you were, if you were a cellist, we have Megan who's a great cellist here, a wonderfully gifted cellist. Let's say that, that um, uh, something happened in, uh, in an accident and her, her hand was broken and for months she couldn't play the cello. Does that mean she couldn't serve others during the, that time? Not at all. It's the heart behind the, the, the actual manifestation. It's who you are, what you have, what you possess, what you can do, the experience you've had to serve others and saying, I want to use all I have and all I am to serve the people around me. That's the gift of service. This gift may be a synonym or a cousin to what Paul calls in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, the gift of helps. You just want to help people. And it doesn't mean if you're a... Uh, uh, I was talking to my, my, uh, my doctor recently, my uh, general practitioner, who's a dear believer, believing man, and uh, we, we were kind of talking about this indirectly, and, and uh, I was thanking him for how he'd taken care of me, and especially the last few months when I've had some health issues, and he says, no, I, I said, thank you for serving me by using your medical gifts, and he says, well, you're welcome, but I haven't really thought about that before. We had a really good talk about how he can use a gift of service in diagnosing physical ailments. The gift of helps. Who are you? What have you experienced? What do you have that can help others? Because listen, if you have things and you are gifted in certain personality areas or skills and you don't use those possessions for others, you are likely using them for who? 
yourself. There's a word for that. What's it called? Selfishness. Next gift he lists here is teaching. Teaching. This is the ability or the skill to communicate God's truth clearly, convincingly, and compellingly. It doesn't just mean that you can teach someone something you know or, or you've learned. Everyone should be able to do that. We're always to be able to give a defense, an apology, a, 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 a statement about the hope that's within us. Everyone should be able to teach something. If you, if you know enough to be saved, you know enough to teach someone the gospel, right? So everyone should have a basic ability to communicate something that they know. But this is, this is different. This is an ability or skill to communicate God's truth clearly, convincingly, and compellingly it means possessing skills and hermeneutics, the, uh, the principles of interpreting God's word, which means that you know how to interpret the scripture properly according to the, get this, authorial intent, one of the most important words in Bible study. Authorial intent, the author's intent. What did the author mean by what the author said in the particular book of the Bible? Because God's word will never, God's word should never, God's word can never mean now what it never meant then. Does that make sense? Authorial intent. So a teacher is compelled by finding out what did God mean by what he said in the original context to the original readers. Having the gift of teaching means you're good at clarifying the meaning of the Bible. You're good at clarifying the meaning of text. You systematize the broad spectrum of the Bible. You know enough of the Bible to let it speak to itself, what we call the analogy of faith. You can cross-reference and, and fill in the blanks when scriptures can aid other scriptures in interpretation. Having this gift means that others can understand the meaning of the Bible because you explain it simply and compellingly enough for them to understand it. This is not the same as someone who can lead a Bible study discussion. It's not the same as leading a group conversation. It's the gift of clearly explaining the text of Holy Scripture. This isn't reading a verse and saying, what do you think it means? That's not the gift of teaching. The gift of teaching is saying, this is what Paul meant to the Romans. This is what Moses meant in Genesis. This is clearly the authorial intent and what the universal principle of that meaning of that text means and what that applies and implies for today. How does this differ from prophecy? Well, this is important. Prophecy was the bringing of new revelation Teaching is the explanation of revelation already recorded. Hear the difference? Prophecy is saying, thus says the Lord for the first time. Teaching is saying, let me tell you what God said in the Bible. Now, I want to say a few things about teaching before we move on. Some things we need to note about the gift of teaching. First of all, it includes a discipline and a work ethic to study. God doesn't gift people to teach without also gifting them with the desire to be disciplined, to do the hard work of study, to know what the text says and communicate it. Yes, that applies to me personally, that applies to the pulpit, but that applies to a lot of levels. That applies to a Sunday school teacher, to four-year-olds. That applies to a junior high teacher or a high school preacher or a college or singles or young marrieds or those who are on the front porch of heaven in the more mature years of their lives. 
It means that you have a gift to say what the Bible says, all the Bible says, and not include anything the Bible doesn't say. And that takes discipline and a work ethic. You don't faithfully execute the gift of teaching by opening your Bible, opening your Bible on Saturday night to see what you might say on Sunday morning. It also, this gift must be affirmed by others. Now, a little insight, I have, I've been teaching in seminary for over two decades now, and I've had a few conversations with some men, some of whom, years past, who, who got all the way to the senior year of their, their, their seminary career, come into preaching lab, preaching class, and you realize that this, this, this friend may be gifted in a lot of ways, but he's not gifted in teaching. And those are hard conversations to take a, a friend out to lunch and say, man, you're playing shortstop, but I think you should be playing left field. I know you want to pitch, but I think you're a catcher. You're, you're, you're playing the wrong position here. But it's important that they do. It should be affirmed by others. People, people affirm gifted teachers. You know how? Because they want to listen to them. It's pretty self-explanatory. And someone who thinks, I have the, the gift of teaching, and yet people aren't compelled by what your explanations are, you may have other gifts that you should explore. It also must be accompanying, accompanied by character qualifications so that you don't rob the integrity of your message with your life. It's the very, very clashing spiritual reality to have someone teaching on areas that they're not willing to obey in their own life. 1 Timothy 4, 1 to 3 talks about that. The Spirit explicitly says in latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means, listen, of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. And then he goes into these liars, these hypocrites who are teachers. Men who forbid marriage and advocate, abstain, uh, advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared by those who believe and know the truth. In other words, he's saying hypocrites teach standards that they're not willing to obey themselves. And sometimes hypocrites teach standards that are outside of the covers of your Bible. Can I say something else about the gift of teaching? It is highly susceptible to the sin of pride. Highly susceptible. I think it was D.L. Moody who was approached after he gave an amazing message in Chicago and someone came up to him afterwards and said, that was the greatest sermon I've ever heard. And he looked this woman in the eye and said, did Satan tell you to tell me that? There's actually a great insight there. I, I think, I hope, I mean, you keep coming, that I have some teaching gift at some level. Nothing encourages me more than when someone says, thanks for teaching this, and they tell me what they've learned from the text. I don't want to be a great preacher. In fact, I think all of us who teach want to disappear as much as possible so that we can see the text. But it's highly susceptible to pride. How do you know if you have the gift of teaching? Well, do you have a desire to teach? Do you have the opportunity? Talk to our leadership if you want to try it. 
Do you have the character that's commensurate with being someone who would stand for God? And do you have the discipline it takes to study so that you know what you're saying? Next in his list is exhorting. This is an interesting one too. Exhorting in his exhorting to be faithful in the exhortation. What, what, what is this exhortation? Well, it's, uh, you know this word probably. It's the word parakaleo, from which we get the term paraclete, which is also used in John 14, John 16, of the Holy Spirit. The word just means para, to come alongside, kaleo, which is the word for talk to or call, to talk to or to call, to come alongside someone to exhort them, to come alongside them. It's the gift simply of encouragement, the gift of encouraging someone. It carries the idea of either comfort or confrontation, but comfort and confronting in a way that moves the person toward greater godliness and holiness. It is the unique ability to know how to motivate a brother or sister in Christ to trust and to obey God. Think about that. The unique ability to know how to specifically come into someone's individually life and know how to encourage them in trust and obedience to God. It comes along with it, the courage and the willingness to do so. Look, having the gift of exhortation is, is, is a courageous gift. In fact, I would say it's probably, it probably takes more courage if you have the gift of of exhortation than it does for me to stand here in the pulpit than it does for you to go to someone privately and say, faithful are the wounds of a friend. This might wound you, but I'm your friend. I care. It's the self-healing part of the body of Christ, which when it sees part of the body out of line, it comes to correct. And when it sees part of the body that's hurting and wounded, it comes to minister. So much of this gift, by the way, is, is tied to what can only be called a heightened sense of awareness that the people around you have spiritual and emotional needs and bringing encouragement to them in specific and in helpful ways. And again, at the heart of this is selflessness. Do you see that? It's not coming into the church saying, well, having a bad week, hope someone cares for me. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Everyone needs that at some level. It's one of the reasons we meet together. But the gift of exhortation means you come to the body of Christ at gathered. You come to the body of Christ in a small group, in a care group. The church meets on Sunday. And you come and you, without even flipping on a switch, are ready to see who's in need, who needs correction, who needs encouragement. I want to be that person to move someone along in their faith. You're engaged in spiritual growth. And again, it's accompanied by sensitivity and courage. Sensitivity and courage. Now, this courage, I want to be careful here, doesn't mean that you're, you, know, you have the gift of confrontation. Some people do, I know. They just don't have any trouble sitting someone down and saying, let me tell you what's wrong in your life. But you also have with it, parakaleo, the ability to encourage. It's encouragement and correction. I've told you before, of the illustration that I'll never forget of Coach Haddock when I ran cross country in, in high school. And I remember during meets, 
there was this, this combined sense when you ran by Coach Haddock, certain part of the cross-country course, where he would see you and he would say, come on, you can do it. You're, you, you only have another mile. You only have another half mile. You only have another two miles, whatever it was. You, you have a, a limited amount of time to go. You can do this. You can do this. And then he would say, you've got to catch that guy. Encouragement and correction, it's, it's motivation. This is a motivator. Someone who has the gift of spiritual motivation. Do you know these people? Boy, I do. You just get around them and you leave and you think, I want to, I want to be a more godly man because of this, this conversation. It has a sensitivity. You find the need for encouragement and you have the courage to find the sin from which to repent in people's lives. This is the gift that can get into another person's kitchen and be invited back. And and this, again, sensitivity and awareness, sensitivity and correction, sensitivity and courage have to be be paired together. All of us know what it's like to have someone come and back their spiritual dump truck up into our lunch and hit the hydraulics and unload on us. And then not provide encouragement. This is different. Parakaleo means you come alongside and you're correcting and you're encouraging and you're doing both. You're walking with someone and there's some people who are just naturally, spiritually, supernaturally gifted to do this and you may have that gift and not even know that you have it. You say, how do I know? Try it. Be sensitive to someone's need. Be sensitive to someone's sin that you can correct and gently encourage and correct them and walk with them beyond the conversation. When you experience the joy of your ability to do that, you'll know you're gifted in that area. This next gift is so misunderstood. The gift of giving. The gift of giving. In his giving, he should be liberal in his gifting. Now, would you just look very carefully and very clearly at verse 8. He who gives with liberality. Does it say, he who's wealthy and gives? Does it say that? Does it say, he who has a lot and gives? Does it say that? This gift of giving, listen, this gift of giving exegetically and biblically has nothing to do with means, nothing to do with wealth, nothing to do with stocks and bonds and houses and cars and possessions, nothing to do with bank accounts. Doesn't say anything. It says if you're gifted to give, you give a lot, you give liberally. And I love the fact that this is not, most people look at this gift and they say, well, that's for the wealthy. That's not what it says. Just not what it says. You know what this is? It's the gift of having a generous and sensitive heart. Where you look at what you have, no matter how meager or how massive that is, you look at what you have and you're sensitive to what I have can be used generously to make someone else's life bettered, someone else's need met, and you want to do it. 
I have seen, I, I've been the beneficiary of the gift of giving so many times. It means you're able to give of your resources and even your time. It doesn't say what you give here, does it? Just says what you give, give it liberally. To meet others' needs. This belongs to a person who is thrilled with generosity. Does generosity thrill you? Do you, when you give something, when you give to someone, you meet, when you meet a need, do you find this tingle in your soul that says, that was a blessing. It was a blessing to bless someone even more than it is to be blessed by someone. It's open-hearted generosity. And look at what it says. He gives liberally. You, you just don't, you, you can't find the off button. You just give I remember having a conversation. It was a sweet conversation with a couple many years ago. Who um, the we were having a little lunch together, and the husband said, "Yeah, yeah, my wife has the gift of giving, and I don't think I do. You got to pray for us." <laughs> she just gives everything away. Someone comes over, and they just, you like you like that picture? You can have it. You're not meeting your electrical bill this month. Not only do I know that. I'm going to write a check for it. The gift of giving isn't just someone who, you know, blindly, randomly gives stuff away. The gift of giving is someone who sees needs, who sees ways they can bless, and specifically targets that. Just a generous person with whatever you have, whether it's a lot or a little. Sometimes this gift is used publicly. Sometimes, and I think most often, it's used quietly and privately to glorify God and enjoy his smile. In fact, I think this is a way you can see if you have this gift. Let me give you an experiment, okay? Try finding someone who has a need. Use some resources that can be given to this person without them ever tracing those resources back to you and see what that does in your heart. If that brings you a unique thrill where you and God have this almost giddy, giggling relationship of we met that need together and they didn't even know, if you get an opportunity to do that and that brings you joy, you likely have the gift of giving. It doesn't mean you have a lot. It means you have a big heart. That's what the gift of giving is. It's about willingness, not wealth. And when you combine, by the way, the gift of giving with the blessing of means and wealth, which many of you have, you have an amplification of that gift that's special. And that gift also allows people with means a way to constantly check their own sin of selfishness. It's interesting, all of these gifts constantly battle our selfishness, right? Two more, very briefly. The gift of leading. The gift of leading. The Greek word here is interesting. It means standing before people. Standing in front of them. It means to lead and guide, to show the way to go, to be there first, to be an example. Luke uses the same word to describe a captain who steers a ship in Acts 27, 11. Now be careful when you read that passage because that captain didn't do so well in that shipwreck. But he was leading the ship, steering the ship. It's someone who steers people. 
This is a gift that provides its owner with the courage to lead, the wisdom to lead, the conviction to lead, the respect of others to be led by him or her. And please note that there's nothing here that indicates this gift is only recognized by church leaders, right? You can have the gift of leadership and work with four-year-olds. There are people who are naturally inclined to take leadership over others, other, other events, tasks, and specifically the spiritual well-being of those around them. And I think this gift is one that should be recognized by others that they just naturally follow someone's lead, follow their example. And of all the gifts, this one is perhaps the one that's most intuitively recognized. You know why? Leaders lead. And lastly, he says, showing mercy. Showing mercy. By the way, you're this, the writer there for the uh, leadership is to do so diligently. To be faithful to lead. Not to be a slacker. Lastly, showing mercy. This is a person with the gift of mercy who has the ability to sympathize and care for people who are in sorrow, afflictions, difficulties and trials. They just have a knack of being an encouragement to people who need specific encouragement. Do you see how the gift of helps and service and the gift of mercy might actually wed together in a single gift? Gifting. Remember the first responders on 9-11 who ran into the world trade centers that were on fire while everyone was running away from those buildings. In a spiritual sense, those who have the gift of mercy run to the people that most people don't want to be around. They run to the needs that no one wants to meet. And it doesn't mean you meet all the needs. It means you care about the person who has the need. You're Job's friends in that first week, right? You just sit and you care. You exercise mercy. They're the first responders. It's the first people you think of at three in the morning when you have a call that you need to make. When all hope seems to be evaporating, you call this person. And notice the writer here. This gift is to be exercised, what's the word say? With cheerfulness. Since cheerfulness is what is brought by this person, it is likely exercised in situations where despair and gloom are pervasive. Right? It makes sense that if you're going to do this and you bring cheer, it's people who need to be cheered up. It's the gift of being able to cheer up someone who needs it with spiritual truth and gospel realities. So here's the key to unlocking your gift. You ready? How are you wired? What do you have? What are your desires? What are your personality traits? And how can you use all that to bring joy and meet needs to the people around you here at Mission Road? Said another way, what is a way you need to attack selfishness? Find your selfishness and your spiritual gift is likely one that God would use to eradicate and keep that selfishness in check. You are gifted. You are gifted by God. You are a gift from God to this church, each one of you. So let me give you three words. Explore, experiment, and inquire. Explore. Understand what these gifts are. Explore. Understand that each one is gifted. Explore the fact that there are different gifts. Experiment. Number two, try them. See where you're blessed and where you're a blessing. 
Thirdly, inquire. Have you ever talked to someone close to you? A husband, a wife, a son, a daughter, a friend, a church leader? Listen, have you ever inquired and said, how do you see my gifts? Where, where, where do you see me gifted? And are you quick to observe the giftedness of the people around you? Because Ephesians 4 says, verse 7, each one of us, grace was giving according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives. Listen, and he gave gifts to men. My prayer in light of this passage is that no one is passive and no one thinks that God gives participation trophies for just coming to church. It's being involved. And we'll talk more about that even in the next passage.